Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm a ranger currently, and before this, I had another job at a different park. That will probably never step foot in, after what I experienced there last year. For the record, it's very busy. During the day, I got a lot of visitors and did a lot of walkthroughs and tours. My favorite part about the job was everybody left at night. I would have the park all to myself. I was the only one working that shift. I love nature. I'm the happiest when I'm outside. So this was the perfect job for me. One day I had this older lady come in and ask a tour. She was by far the nicest I'd met. 
and she seemed to enjoy my company for some reason. She stalled the tour as much as she could, called me a child the entire time when seeing something or making a statement or a question. That seemed sweet to me. She was just so sincere, and to share my same passion was wonderful. She told me later, I realized we pretty much felt the same way about nature and even had a very similar connection. I felt something warm about this lady that I could not really describe it, but I didn't mind spending the entire day showing her around. As it got darker, she was beginning to get sad, and I asked her about it. She told me that she was sad about her time with me passing, and I told her she can come here any time if she wanted to and talk. She thanked me, said that she hopes that she will have a chance to come again. In her voice and eyes, I saw that somehow she believed she would never see me again after that night. It was overall sad, and I wondered if she had a disease or something and was dying, but I thought it rude to ask, so I didn't. She said she wanted to show me something and took me to the last part of the park. And there was this beautiful fountain. She told me how the fountain was made of marble. And it was probably the most beautiful fountain that will ever be built because it was built by her grandfather and she loved very much. When she was a little girl, she would often come to the edge and look at the water, imagining what her life would end up like. But she never hoped it would turn out like it did. She was very calm and seemed like she was at peace with everything around her and inside of her. I couldn't believe somebody could be that peaceful. Although I told her I would be happy if she came around here more often, the sadness in her eyes remained. She took my face in her hands, told me she was proud of me, that it turned out just the way she could have hoped. That kind of confused me, but I didn't want to ask. She said it was time to say goodbye. I went behind the fountain. I followed her to see where she was going, but nobody was there. Now I was weirded out. I didn't know where this old lady had disappeared to. I asked the guy at the reception of an older lady. With her description had left, and he said no. No older women had came in today at all. The whole thing was extremely weird, but I ignored it, went on with my day. Now, fast forward two months later, I was looking through my mom's photo album, and I saw a picture of the old lady. I was shocked and asked my mother who that was. What she told me made me question my reality and my memory to this day. She said that she was my great-grandmother. I still believe that something unexplainable happened to me. The next day, I quit my job. If I ever saw that fountain again, I would ask about it. And I'm too afraid to find out if what that woman told me is true. Deep in the heart of the dense Texas woods, where the ancient trees whispered secrets to the wind and shadows danced in the moonlight, a man named Sam found himself in a nightmarish situation. His car had broken down on a desolate road, miles away from civilization. With no choice but to seek help, he ventured into the tangled forest, hoping to find a nearby house or a kind soul willing to lend a hand. The moon hung high in the sky, casting an eerie glow through the branches as Sam trudged through the underbrush. Every rustle of leaves and every distant hood of an owl sent shivers down his spine. The woods were a maze of uncertainty, and his heart raced with the growing realization that he was truly lost. As Sam ventured deeper, the forest grew darker and more foreboding. 
His flashlight cast long, twisting shadows that seemed to reach out and grab at him. He stumbled over roots and fallen branches, his sense of direction becoming increasingly distorted. Panic gnawed at his gut, but he pressed on, driven by the hope of salvation. Then a chilling sound shattered the silence, a guttural growl that seemed to reverberate through the trees. Sam froze, his breath catching in his throat. He turned slowly, his flashlight beam revealing a massive, looming figure in the darkness. It was a creature unlike anything he had ever seen, a towering, hulking beast that stood on two legs covered in matted, shaggy fur. Its eyes glowed with an otherworldly intensity, and its face bore a twisted blend of primal menace and uncanny intelligence. The creature's arms hung low, its long fingers tipped with sharp, deadly claws. Sam's heart raced as he tried to comprehend the sight before him, a creature that defied logic and seemed ripped from the pages of a nightmare. And then, before he could react, the creature lunged. Sam's instincts kicked in, and he sprinted through the underbrush, the creature hot on his heels. His heart pounded in his chest, his breath ragged as he pushed himself to the limit. Adrenaline surged through his veins, fueling his flight as he sought refuge from the monstrous pursuit. In a stroke of luck, Sam stumbled upon an old, dilapidated cabin nestled deep in the woods. With a desperate burst of energy, he lunged for the door and slammed it shut behind him, his hands trembling as he locked it. He could hear the creature's heavy breathing and furious snarls just outside the door, its massive hands slamming against the wood. As Sam's heart raced, he quickly scanned the cabin. Moonlight filtered through the cracked windows, casting eerie patterns on the worn furniture. But escape seemed unlikely. The creature's strength was too much for the fragile door to withstand. With a last-ditch effort, Sam spotted a small window on the far side of the cabin. He moved silently, every muscle in his body tensed, and he managed to ease the window open. The creature's furious assault on the door masked the noise of his escape as he slipped out into the night air. The forest was suffocating, every rustle of leaves a threat but he was determined to survive. Using all his stealth, Sam ran through the woods, the cold air burning in his lungs. He knew he couldn't outrun the creature forever, but he needed to put distance between them. Finally, he burst through the trees and onto an open road, his heart pounding in his chest. With trembling hands, he pulled out his phone and dialed 911. His voice strained as he recounted the harrowing encounter. But the voice on the other end was skeptical, and disbelief colored every word. Sam's pleas fell on deaf ears as the dispatcher dismissed his story as a prank or delusion. As desperation threatened to consume him, the distant rumble of an engine broke through the night. Headlights pierced the darkness, and a truck rumbled to a stop beside him. The driver's side window rolled down, revealing a weathered face framed by a trucker's cap. Hey, you are right there, son, the trucker asked with concern. Sam's voice trembled as he shared his ordeal, the words pouring out in a rush. To his astonishment, the trucker's expression shifted from skepticism to genuine concern. Without hesitation, he invited Sam into the cab, offering a safe haven from the terrors of the night. And so, as the trucker's headlights cut through the darkness... Sam found himself riding to safety with a stranger who believed his story. The man's kindness and understanding provided a glimmer of hope in the midst of his nightmare. 
a reminder that even in the darkest of times, there were still those willing to listen, to help, and to bring him back from the brink of terror. I have spent plenty of time in the African bush and had encounters with the Big Five on foot, but this particular encounter felt much more similar to experiences. I've had both hunting and being hunted by armed men in Afghanistan and Latin America. I know baboons are not human, but they are more human-like than the Big Five crocs, snakes, big brown bears, etc., so it felt very different and much more like we were being hunted V as an animal acting in defense mode. I worked for three years at the United States Embassy in Swaziland, now called Eswatini, which is a small country in Africa located between Mozambique and South Africa. My wife's son and I were hiking in the Malalacha Mountains on the Swazi SA border. We had cut down into a brushy canyon to get to some cool waterfalls. My son and I had crossed a creek, but my wife was behind us taking a picture of something. Suddenly she screamed and pointed up in the rocks. I had seen fresh leopard sign, and we had spooked a mamba on our last trip to the reserve, so I grabbed my son and ran across the creek to where my wife was standing. I saw where she was pointing, and after a few seconds saw a large male baboon about 30 yards away. I waved my arms, but he didn't move. I then saw a second male baboon start approaching us, showing his canine. I told my wife and son to walk slowly up the trail, staying next to me. I drew my 9mm. I was allowed to carry in Swaziland and pointed it at the baboons, hoping to scare them off. When hunting in other areas, I had seen that baboons were run at the sight of a long gun, but these two had probably never been shot at with a pistol because they kept following us. I then told my son to pick up a stick and hold it like a rifle, but that didn't faze them either. They trailed us about 400 yards, with my wife and son walking in front of me, covering our back. What was spooky was how the two male baboons leapfrogged, almost like using cover and concealment. They didn't just follow us up the trail like an elephant would do, but more like they were trying to get ahead of us while trying to stay concealed by the brush. I knew if they rushed me, I would not have time for a mag reload, so the 14 rounds, we carried SIG 229s back then, would have to count for both of them. But if they came at the same time, it was going to be touch and go. Luckily, we got to the top of the canyon, where it was wide open, rolling country, and the baboons never came up over the rim. We booked it back to the jeep after that. As soon as we got to the jeep, my wife had a panic attack and started hyperventilating, I had never seen her so worked up, even after a car bomb in Columbia went off three blocks away when we were having dinner one night. She was calm enough to seek cover and follow instructions. But this thing with the baboons really messed her up for a few days. In Africa, both baboons and hyenas are hated and feared by the locals who associated them with witchcraft, beauty. I don't buy into the whole animals are evil or noble, although I saw more than enough to know that witchcraft is very common in parts of Africa. We assisted the Swayze police on a number of investigations of ritual black magic child murders and albino killings. So no one can ever tell me that real evil does not exist. Some of that stuff still haunts me today, but as a Christian... 
At least I know there is a power that is stronger than the evil out there. And I hate baboons. It was the summer of 2005, and I had been living in a small town about two hours west of the city for a few years. My life was simple, and I spent most of my free time exploring the surrounding forests, hiking trails, and parks. I had befriended the local park ranger, a kind and knowledgeable man named Tom, who taught me about the area's flora and fauna, and shared my interest in the supernatural. One day, as I was driving through Love's Park on Riverside, I experienced something truly bizarre. Out of nowhere, something large and dark flew over my car, casting a shadow that momentarily blotted out the sun. As I squinted to catch a glimpse of what it could have been, I heard something say my name very loudly as if it came from inside my car. I swerved in surprise, narrowly avoiding an accident, and pulled over to the side of the road. After catching my breath and calming my racing heart, I decided to keep this strange experience to myself, not wanting to be labeled a lunatic. Fast forward to the fall of 2009. I'd moved into an apartment complex on the outskirts of town, nestled between a sprawling forest and a peaceful lake. One evening, I stepped outside for a cigarette and looked up at the sky, enjoying the crisp autumn air. Suddenly, a massive creature with an enormous wingspan flew over the building, barely twenty feet above the rooftop. It looked like a pterodactyl from a prehistoric era, and my mind raced back to that day in Love's Park. I stared in disbelief as the creature disappeared into the distance. The following day, I decided to confide in Tom, the park ranger, about my sightings. We met for a cup of coffee at a local diner, and I recounted my experiences in detail. To my surprise, Tom listened intently and didn't dismiss my story as the ramblings of a madman. Instead, he shared a theory that he had been secretly researching, that the creature I had seen was the infamous Chicago Mothman. Intrigued by the possibility, we spent the next few months poring over historical records, news articles, and eyewitness accounts of similar sightings in the area. As we dug deeper into the mystery, we uncovered a pattern of unusual occurrences and unexplained phenomena that stretched back decades. We even spoke to other witnesses who had encountered the creature and heard their harrowing stories. As the years went by, Tom and I continued our investigation into the Chicago Mothman always searching for answers and always just one step behind the elusive creature. Our quest became an obsession, a bond that connected us and fueled our curiosity. And though we never managed to capture definitive proof of the Mothman's existence, the memories of our encounters with the unknown still haunt us to this day. Every time I read a new story about the Chicago Mothman, I can't help but think back to that summer day in Love's Park and that autumn evening outside my apartment, and I wonder, will I ever come face to face with the creature again? Or will it forever remain a mystery, a dark shadow that flits across the sky and whispers my name from the depths of the unknown? When I was in high school, my friends and I would occasionally drive out into the desert outside of Phoenix to a secluded area known to locals as the Ravine. Essentially, the Ravine was a massive man, 
made whole with perfectly flat walls running down all four sides so deep into the ground that it was hard to see the bottom. The walls had no ledges, making it nearly impossible to climb in or out of. Picture a giant square-shaped well in the middle of the desert. One moonlit night, we were all gathered around the hole, drinking and partying as we tended to do from time to time. We were tossing rocks and beer cans down the ravine when suddenly we all heard something strange. It sounded like it was coming from somewhere deep in the bottom of the hole. Our flashlight provided little help as it was just too deep to see all the way to the bottom. I immediately assumed it was a bird or possibly some other animal that had fallen in, but I wasn't sure. Suddenly we heard whatever this thing was coming up the other side. But how? There is no way a bear or a deer or a bobcat or any four-legged animal could climb that thing unless it was a spider. That's the thing. We saw it. We saw it. The best way to describe it. You know, the black Spider-Man. The evil Spider-Man. The one in the black. That's what it looked like. It looked like a human. Whatever it was, it had arms and it had legs. And it ran in a diagonal motion. In a zigzag motion. And it ran up. It shifted to the side and zig. Zagged back and ran up again. I swear to God, I have no idea what it was. It definitely wasn't a person. I can tell you that. There's no way a bear or any other animal could get up that, unless it had wings. Okay, there's nothing to grab onto. I know it was real. I saw it as it crawled up. Rocks and sand were falling. It made noises. The actual thing didn't make noises, but rocks and the sand that fell made noises. We freaked out. The thing zigzagged out, and when it got to the top, it took off. And we couldn't see it anymore. We just looked at each other and said, It's time to go. Let's go. And we all took off. I don't know what it was. I don't have a clue, but it was weird. My aunt told me a story of one night when she was around 12 years old. She's now 50. They would visit my great-grandmother in a small town in Mexico where she lived and where my father's side of the family is originally from. Anyway, she told me she woke up one night and happened to look out the doorway's green door. Everyone slept with doors and windows open, where she saw an old woman riding a donkey that was being pulled by a boy down the road. Please, no donkey jokes. She thought to herself that was odd since it was the middle of the night. She recognized the old lady as an old family friend that had a small shop store down the road. She went back to sleep and the next day told my grandmother about seeing the family friend on the donkey being walked down the street last night. My grandmother figured she had to be dreaming and didn't think much more of it. Well, later that day they found out that the old lady had died the night before in her sleep. I thought it was pretty creepy. I hope when I go out it ain't on a dang donkey. I've always been a bit of a skeptic when it comes to ghosts and uh, the paranormal, but something happened to me a few years ago that I just can't explain. It was a typical night at the station, and I was working alongside the medics and firefighters. 
I'd been using my radio in the ambulance earlier in the night, but when I went to grab it, I realized I had left it behind. So I walked out of the quarters and into the bay to retrieve it. As I was walking, a firefighter walked past me wearing bunker pants and a t-shirt. I didn't think anything of it at the time, assuming he was just heading out to grab something from his truck. But when I walked into the bay, I noticed that uh, Quint was gone on a call. It was strange, but I figured maybe they had just left in a hurry and forgot to tell me. Feeling a bit spooked, I walked back inside to the shared quarters. But when I got there, it was completely empty. The kitchen was empty, the bathrooms were empty, and there was no sign of anyone else being there. I asked the fire guys about it the next morning, and they said that no one else would have been there at that time. It was just me and them. I couldn't explain what had happened. But it definitely left me feeling a bit unsettled. From that moment on, I couldn't help but wonder if there was something more to the world than what we can see and understand. My brother's best friend is blind. He has told me that he has experienced spirits since he was young, good and bad. The most memorable event that he told me was when he was lying in bed and suddenly felt like something was strangling him and that he could not move no matter how hard he tried. After that happened, he went into his mom's room to retrieve a crucifix to hang on his wall. After hanging the crucifix on his wall, he turned to walk away only to see it flying across the room and smashing on the opposite wall. This was not his first and will not be his last encounter with spirits. He has moved several times since this incident and says no matter where he goes, it still occurs to this day. I had never believed in ghosts before my hunting trip to Three Rivers. It was a beautiful place with lush greenery and rolling hills. The house we stayed in was cozy, but there was something eerie about it. On the first night, I lay down in bed, exhausted from the long day of hunting. The ceiling fan was on, gently blowing cool air over me as I drifted off to sleep. But then something strange happened. I heard the fan stop, and I sat up confused. I thought maybe the power had gone out, but then I smelled it. The strong odor of sulfur. I felt dizzy like I was drunk and I stumbled out of bed trying to figure out what was happening. As I stood up, I noticed that the light switch was off. I hadn't turned it off, so I was confused as to why it was off. And then I heard it, voices coming from the kitchen along with the sound of the microwave beeping. I cautiously walked towards the kitchen, feeling the hair on the back of my neck standing up. The voices got louder, and I could make out a woman's voice. It was then that I remembered that an old lady had died in this house two years before. I was terrified, but also fascinated. Could it be that her spirit was still lingering in the house? The thought sent shivers down my spine. For the rest of my stay, I felt like I was being watched, like there was always someone in the room with me. I didn't sleep much that night, too scared to close my eyes. And the next morning, I asked the other hunters if they had heard anything during the night. They looked at me with confusion, telling me that they had slept like babies and heard nothing. It was then that I realized that I'd experienced something truly otherworldly. 
I served in the military for a few years and had my fair share of training exercises in various locations. One of the most memorable ones was in a dense jungle where we had to navigate down a river in small motorboats. It was hot and humid, but we were focused on the task at hand. That was until someone realized we were one man and one boat short. We quickly realized that one of our comrades was missing, and we needed to find him as soon as possible. So we split up and started searching for him. After a while, we found his boat down a side fork of the river. But there was no sign of the guy anywhere. It was strange. There wasn't any indication that he might have been attacked by a crocodile or any other predator. He just vanished into thin air. We searched the area thoroughly, but there was no trace of him. No scraps of uniform. No blood. Nothing. It was as if he just disappeared into thin air. We had no idea what had happened to him. For all we knew, he could have been captured by a local tribe or something. It was a scary thought, and we all hoped he was safe and would be found soon. But unfortunately, we never did find him. It was a mystery that would always linger in our minds. After our grandfather passed my cousin and I decided to take up elk hunting, the beginning of the end. It was our very first trip out. We did everything wrong. Cotton, hammocks in 20 degree, weather cheap summer sleeping bags, packed everything but the kitchen sink. I'm sure our packs were every bit of 90 pounds low. Anyway, we didn't sleep much. Our last night out at about 2 a.m., we were sitting by the fire and making plans when we heard whispering. We both looked at each other, puzzled. We grew up together, and a lot can be said without speaking. So we listened, and sure as hell we heard it again, from a different direction, and then again from another. It was definitely guys whispering. There were at least six and had us surrounded. We both had pistols, but were at a huge disadvantage being in the fire's light. I decided to send him and our families a group text message telling them the situation and my plan. If shit got hairy, he was to grab my bino harness with my keys in it and make a break for the darkness and then to the pickup. He is by far the faster runner. I also said to follow my lead and I would try to get us out of this. I then told him in a calm, normal voice that I was really thinking the elk had moved on, and we should probably pack up and find a different hunting area. He agreed. We sat and listened inconspicuously for a minute and heard a couple more whispers. I told him that I thought we could possibly get out of there before sunrise and to our other spot in time for a morning hunt. Again, we listened to the whispering. I sent another text to tell him to be ready to explode into action if things got worse. I casually got up and stretched and said, I'm going to start packing. We got everything packed up with no issues, but did hear a couple more whispers. It was extremely hard to act like we didn't hear them, but I was sure if we did, things would go downhill and fast. I distinctly heard those Fs and fast. Once we got our packs on, I sent him another text telling him to get his eyes adjusted to the dark. I quickly dumped my water on the fire and we made our move out of there. We rapidly hiked for the first mile in dark silence and didn't hear anything behind us. After another mile or so, we made it to the truck. There wasn't another vehicle in sight anywhere. Nothing happened, thankfully, but I don't trust people, and who knows what their plan was. Were they hoping to catch us sleeping? 
I kind of thought it may have been a group of poachers and were going to call their riot once they got something. Called the sheriff in the morning and they said that they weren't even going to check it out due to low staffing in the remote area. I'd flown to Marietta, Georgia, from Las Vegas to visit my father for Christmas when I was 16 years old. After arriving at the airport around 9.30 p.m., 10 p.m., my father picked me up and we went back to his house. It was already... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Pretty late, so we decided to clean up and go to bed. I was sleeping on the couch in the living room that had a window facing the backyard and the forest behind my father's house. It was around midnight when something caught my eye while I was reading a book. I saw three faint lights in the woods and I thought they were fireflies. However, it was December and fireflies were not common during that time of year. As I continued watching, I noticed that they were moving slowly and wobbling. The lights got closer and closer and I couldn't look away. They floated over the backyard gate, and that's when I realized that it wasn't something normal. They were about 10 to 15 feet away from the gate, and they proceeded to float up to the bay window area. They were basketball-sized, almost translucent and vibrant green. They began to bob up and down in a random pattern that got faster and faster until I blacked out. The next thing I remembered was waking up on the couch the next morning with a horrible migraine and a serious pain in my left forearm. There was a small bluish silver metal object about three to four centimeters out of my skin near the palm of my hand. My forearm hurt badly and the object had never been there before. Years later, I was hiking at Calico Basin in Vegas during November-December when I saw a little green light in the sky. It wasn't moving, and I looked at it for about five to ten minutes before I started feeling freaked out. I left and returned home. A couple of days later, I used forceps and an X-Acto knife to remove the object on my arm. It was hard, steel-like, and had a bluish-silver color with a dark gray patina around it. My name's Dean. I used to be a ranger of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, located in Northern Carolina. I was guiding a group of Spanish tourists, and none of them knew English. Our communication was more than terrible. I left them near a river, returning to base. Two hours go by, and I returned to see if everybody was fine, and if nobody was lost. We went back to a safe place. The afternoon was turning into night, and being there would be extremely dangerous. We arrived and one of the tourists told me that we had forgotten somebody, a young woman with a notebook. He told me she was trying to collect some data about birds and insects. Immediately, I went to search for her. I took everything I had before going. I told everybody to stay there and I'd be back in a half hour flat. The forest was dark, the insects' noises, 
I heard her distressed call near the river, and I arrived there, and she was being attacked by bats. I grabbed my gun, firing several shots into the air. The bats fled, and the woman had some superficial bite wounds. She panicked and fainted. I waited for her to recover, then took her back to the safe place where I could get her first aid. We were walking. She was having some difficulties, even if I was helping her. The forest was dark and suddenly began to rain. As we walked harder, some hours had passed and we had arrived. The other tourists were waiting for a return and became shocked at what had happened. I gave her first aid. All the tourists asked to get back to the city. I told them that would not be possible in that condition. It was raining a lot. The track was wet and probably would all suffer accidents. I told everybody to sleep, and when the morning appeared, the young woman was dead. Her body had more wounds than last night. An old man had some bite wounds in his left arm and did not wake up. His wife had tried to wake him, but when he finally woke, he had a severe heart attack and died. The old woman in tears, the other two tours, tried to calm her down and asked me what happened. After hours of searching, night came, and this time, I was completely alone. Five years of working as a ranger of this park, it gave me the knowledge to be prepared for anything, or so I thought. At midnight, I heard a strange noise sounding like a huge airplane or something. I decided to go see what was happening. I arrived and saw something that nobody would believe in my words, giant bats, and I'm not talking about regular bats. These were massive, the size of humans. And what's worse is I saw them in the light. They were human hybrids, part human, part bat, and they were devouring the body of a wolf with hands and claws and a face that looked like a demon. I panicked, running faster than I could. These things saw me flying off in the sky and taking my direction, almost trying to catch me. The woods were dark, and my light only prevailed through so much darkness. I entered a small cavern that would provide me ample coverage. I guess you can call it a cavern. It was more like a little outing in the wall, but they were flying in the air, looking for me. They looked like large, deformed black dogs, taller than humans, red eyes, and long tails. I shot at one of them, and they came screaming in my direction. I waited for the right moment to run, returning back when I had arrived. I could still hear them flying around in the distance. I told everybody to keep quiet, immediately radioing my boss, telling him we have an issue. He asked that I speak with him in private as it sounded like he kind of already knew what was going on. When I spoke to him, he threw some paperwork in front of me and told me to sign it. It was an NDA. He looked at me and told me, This is not going to be the first time you have to sign these. Better get used to it on this job which is why I have to be very careful with my identity. At the beginning of this story, I told you my name was Dean. Obviously, I'm sure you've already guessed that's not my real name. It's merely a placeholder. I guess there are several other rangers who have seen these same bats. What they are, I'm not sure. Could they be the elusive Bat-Squatch? Possibly, but they looked far more hideous. And unlike a Bat-Squatch, they were not covered in hair. They were far worse. Unfortunately, not always, as it seems in these national parks, and many of these things we're told to keep quiet about. All I can say is, for anyone wanting to venture out at night, be very, very careful whether you're in a national park or not.
My name is Atuha. I'm a young Native American hunter from the Anishinaabe tribe. I was taught the art of hunting by my father and grandfather who passed down their knowledge and skills to me. Hunting was more than just a means of providing food for our people. It was a rite of passage, a way of connecting with nature and our ancestors. One cool autumn morning, I set out on a solo hunt, eager to prove my skills to my tribe. I ventured deep into the forest, following the tracks of a deer I had been trailing since daybreak. As I moved silently through the dense underbrush, I came across a worn leather pouch lying on the forest floor. Curious, I picked it up and discovered a document inside. The paper was old and yellowed with writing in a language I didn't understand. However, I could make out the number 100 in the phrase unknown predator kill. A feeling of unease washed over me, but I kept the document, hoping that someone in my tribe could decipher its contents. As the day wore on, I continued my hunt, but the mysterious document weighed heavily on my mind. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched, that something was lurking in the shadows of the forest. The sun began to set, casting eerie shadows through the trees, and the air grew colder. I decided it was time to head back to my village. As I made my way through the darkening woods, I heard a rustling of leaves behind me. I turned to see a creature I had only heard of in our tribe's legends, a wendigo. It stood at least nine feet tall, with a skeletal frame covered in tattered, decaying flesh. Its eyes burned like red embers, and antlers jutted from its skull, giving it an even more terrifying appearance. Its long, bony fingers ended in razor-sharp claws, and its breath reeked of death. The wendigo growled at me, a sound that sent chills down my spine. I quickly notched an arrow to my bow and aimed at the creature's heart, but before I could release it, the wendigo vanished into thin air. My heart raced as I searched the area for any sign of the beast, but it was as if it had never been there. With trembling hands, I lowered my bow and continued my journey home. When I finally reached the safety of my village, I told my people about my encounter with the Wendigo. Many were skeptical, but the elders nodded solemnly, knowing that such creatures exist in our legends for a reason. I searched for the document I had found earlier, hoping to show it to the tribe shaman. But to my dismay, it had vanished just like the Wendigo. I could only wonder if the two were connected somehow, and if the unknown predator mentioned in the document was the very creature I had encountered. Though I never saw the Wendigo again, the memory of that encounter remained with me. A few days ago, I met with one of my friends from school at a local cafe. This is when I was doing my shift. He had ordered a latte when I recognized him. He had also recognized me when he looked right at me. We chatted pleasantries while I made coffee. To know that he was now a park ranger, I was interested. Asked him to tell me more about his job after my shift. After my shift had ended, I walked over to his table while he was reading a book. He began telling me about how he first loved his job, but recently had been having some strange supernatural occurrences that creeped him out. He was even considering resigning. I asked him what he saw, and he told me about some things that he had seen that were very concerning. One day near dusk, he was patrolling the park along with three of the rangers. They walked and patrolled a stream that flows in the park so they don't get lost. 
When it was completely dark, they turned back towards the cabins of the park rangers. As they were walking, they saw a big creature just a few feet away from them. It was almost eight feet tall with thick hands and feet. It nearly matched the description of a Bigfoot, except it had the head of a lion. My friend and his co-workers got so scared, they began running towards the cabin, blindly shooting behind them. The creature was so thick and heavy that it could not run as fast as them, struggling to keep up. Soon they started to see bright lights shining outside the cavern every night as it came closer. When they reached the cabin door and looked back, there was no creature in sight especially not the Bigfoot-looking lion. They told the whole currents to the rest of the rangers. They did not believe them at first, but one of the rangers said he believed them since he also saw something unnatural a few days back, only he didn't dare share. He thought it was just his imagination. On asking him what he saw, he told them he saw a small creature, almost one feet tall with thin stick-like arms and legs, totally opposite to what my friend and the other rangers had saw, that patrolled around with him. I was shocked to hear these types of creatures existed, and advised him to resign and get a job that's away from the supernatural. He said that no job is away from the supernatural, as they could always shape, shift, or choose to be invisible if they wish. So even my job of serving coffee, I could have an encounter with anything unnatural. My story involves myself and three of my really good friends throughout my whole childhood. We'll have them go by Kevin, Ryan, and Tommy, whom I am good friends with to this day. I could not write this story to you without their help, consent, and experiences as well. The story you are about to read is true and not made up in any way. Regardless whether we had been seeing things or not, the reality is we had experienced something very horrifying the one night at my friend Kevin Cabin. We thought long and hard about actually sharing it or not, afraid of being ridiculed, but we are ready to share with the community, and again you had to be there to experience it. One of my friends had actually suffered a nervous breakdown after the incident and needed counseling in itself. Regardless, I would like you to know also I have always been a skeptic on the paranormal and find it very hard to believe in many aspects. But I love to watch, listen, and read on it simply because I always love to have an open mind in life. An open mind, in my opinion, is a growing one. Whether it was paranormal or not, someone was clearly there that night. Now, finally, on with the story. During the midsummer, usually around the middle of July, me and a couple of my good friends, who I had mentioned, all the way through my childhood, always made time to go up to my one friend's family cabin. Way up north in the forest of Minnesota, cabin located on Vermilion Lake. Throughout all of our young years, we would always go, for sure accompanied by my friend's dad. Kevin's dad, who owned the cabin, and sometimes a few of our dads as well. Once we were juniors in high school, we felt mature and old enough to go to the cabin on our own. Finally, without Kevin's dad or any other adult supervision that may have accompanied us, I would like to mention a little information in regards to my friend's cabin to help you picture the scenario. My friend's cabin is very remote and very little based upon a very large-sized island. Other cabins were on the island, but the next one closest to us was a solid quarter or half mile away, 
at least, which is my best guess, which you could get to by taking a man-made path around the island. And I want to mention that to get to my friend's cabin. You had to park on a gravel road on the opposite side of the island, as his cabin was on an island, and take his boat across the lake about a half mile to reach the cabin. This lake is huge. My mind always had a tendency to run around when sleeping there at night throughout all my years, for it was all one level with only two bedrooms next to one another, a kitchen leaving room connected, and a bathroom in the back of the cabin. And where you slept in the cabin was there always at least one window in each room with no curtain to it at all. So it was very easy to see outside to the woods and lake, and this is where my mind would run. As I always thought someone was peering in. Of course, nobody ever was. I had been to this cabin a dozen times throughout my lifespan, and nothing had ever happened. And the older I got, the easier it was to sleep. Now for the event. We usually would stay a week's worth or four or five nights. On the third night during the trip, when we were there on our own, finally we had set up a campfire and had been drinking beer all night. I don't condone underage drinking. By the way, we just happened to sneak some being the rebels we are. We went out to his dock to gaze up at the magnificent of the stars and enjoy our buzz when all of a sudden we heard something out at the water that sounded like a fish jumping out to catch a bug. We quickly looked out at the lake with curiosity, wondering where the splash came, having our poles ready 24-7. Thankfully, the moon was out that night, which helped lit up the lake. Otherwise, it would be dark as black, with there being no city lights for miles upon miles, and we would not have been able to see anything on the lake. My one friend, Ryan, began to point out, saying, Um, what the hell is that? After looking closely and finally spotting what he was pointing at, all I can describe it was it simply looked like a head out in the middle of the lake, just floating about staring at us directly. It was about three-quarters worth of a football field length out in the lake from the dock. There is no question that I could see its features. It had long black hair and very pally skin like a face, but couldn't make out the eyes, mouth, nose, or chin, as if it was just a blob of pale skin with long black hair over it. They'll never forget the feeling that came over me. The hairs on my legs, neck, arm all stood up, and I was paralyzed on the inside, ready to leave that moment. But we told ourselves it was just a loon, as these birds are very popular night drifters on the lake and do their hunting late, and also have black with white colors on their coats and hunt by diving deep into the water, holding their breath up to minutes sometimes. So it was possible that a loon all of a sudden popped up in the water after hunting a bit. Or at least we tried to talk ourselves into that scenario. All of us having the creeps and noticing it wasn't moving one bit, just treading water in its same place, went back to our campfire, lit it even brighter, and headed inside to drink more. I would like to mention that there was a staircase outside my friend's cabin, about eight stairs in length, down to the bottom where the fire pit was and dock, we soon forgot about the head with the help of the beer until I had to use the bathroom really bad and the one inside was preoccupied. I just went outside to do my business since we were in the great outdoors. When I had been taking a pee and glancing out at the beautiful moonlit lake, I noticed that the black circle object was still there, 
but about 30 yards closer now. Still looking as if it was staring right at me, I could easily see the nose on this thing's face. Again, it was very pale, like it hadn't seen the sun for years. A very, very uneasy feeling came over me, and I immediately went inside and told my other friends to come look quick, keeping my eyes glued to it at the door to the cabin. We came outside to see it still there, looking at us as if this head was corked up at us with its chin in the air. Nobody dared go down to the dock anymore, and we immediately went back inside, ruling out that it probably wasn't a loon, because a loon wouldn't have tread the water in the same spot. Eventually, the current would have drifted it somewhere else in a rocking manner. For a loon to stay in the same spot for almost an hour or two made no sense to any of us. This head-like object was stiff as a board and not moving a single muscle, just staring up at us from the deck instead. There was no ripple effect at all in the lake from the object. We said it was just a log and went back in. I could tell everyone else felt uneasy, too. A few hours would pass. It was super late into the night at this point and knew we needed sleep. Being my curious self... I looked back outside once more, and the black object had completely vanished. I could help but feel a sense of relief, thinking the log must have floated off or just hit shore somewhere. As we slept with the windows open that night, there was no A.C. in this cabin, and we had to open them or we would fry in his cabin with it being the middle of summer. Me and my other buddy, Tommy, slept in the living room while my two other friends slept in the two separate bedrooms with their doors open. Not being able to sleep, but keeping my eyes peeled shut, I began to hear someone walking around at the bottom of the stairs to the cabin, out on the campfire, and at the bottom of the stair. I thought I was about to shit bricks. No question what, or who, ever I heard down there. Was of the dock now, pacing back and forth as it made the sound of a boot clicking on the wood. It was if they weren't sure what to do with themselves, it lasted for about three minutes. Wanting to whisper to my buddy, but frozen in fear, I just kept my eyes shut and ears on full alert. The footsteps sounded like they took two steps up the deck stairs all of a sudden, but then turned around and sounded like they were sprinting out down the man-made path. After it sounded like the steps were long gone and a couple of minutes had passed, I woke up Tommy asking if he heard the steps. Both of us sitting up, I was startled to my friend, Ryan walking out of his room and saying we need to leave a minute after these steps vanished, he must have heard us talking, so felt he could come out as well, but either way, he was waking us up regardless. Something was very disturbing about his expression, and I asked him why. He woke up my other friend, Kevin, in the other room and said, let's go, get to the boat, it's time to go, asking him, what, what, Ryan, what the hell is wrong with you? He explained to us quickly while grabbing his stuff, and I will never forget what he explained, as want my other friends, he said when he was turning sides on his bed to get more comfortable. He saw someone peeking in at the top right corner of his window, and it quickly shifted out of his view. He said all he saw was one eye, ghostly white skin, and black hair long down the window. Again, another thing I would like to add. When we look back at what he experienced, it chills us to the bone, realizing that since this face was in the top right corner of the window in my friend's room that he was sleeping in, this thing either was damn near eight feet tall, 
standing on something like bricks trying to peek in, or was floating. Ryan then continued to say, let's go, very seriously. Absolutely disturbed the F out of my mind and feeling like I was going to be sick and then telling them what my friend and I heard in the living room, we all agreed and packed our stuff and booked it not cleaning the cabin or anything. We always had to clean the cabin before leaving. We locked up and as we headed down the stairs we saw barefoot prints in the dirt heading off into the path and all around the cabin. We picked up our step getting to the boat not knowing what was watching us or around us. Threw our stuff on the boat, untied it, and sped off. I didn't even think about the head in the water anymore. Or to look in the water, thank God. My eyes were just glued to the island, trying to spot anything moving, but I saw nothing. When we had finally gotten our stuff packed in the car and boat tied up, we hopped in the car and took off. We'd been driving out about ten miles and out of the blue Ryan, who said he saw the person outside his windows, all of a sudden broke down in the car sobbing, saying, What was it, guys? Oh, what did I see? We called to tell our parents. What had happened on the way back, and that Ryan was freaking out, and they told us to just get home safely and quickly. It was late, about four or five in the morning, but no one slept, and it was a very quiet ride home. My friend's dad, who owns the cabin, went up that following weekend and said he experienced nothing while there, but did mention bare footprints were still lingering about which he thought odd because someone was walking around his property, which bugged him badly. Whatever my one friend saw in the window really hit him hard. After his breakdown, he had trouble sleeping multiple nights and ended having to seek some help for a couple of weeks and hop on some sleeping medicine. As time went off, he ended being fine, but inched to comfortable sleeping next to a window without a curtain. I to this day cannot explain what happened and why it seemed to happen to us and cannot explain. What I saw in the lake and what Ryan specifically saw, nothing has ever happened at that cabin since that night, so we're told from my friend's dad who owns it, which I believe him. I personally have never decided to go back to the cabin which really makes me sad because I had great childhood memories there. Tommy and Kevin both have gone back and been fine, but Ryan refuses to go back and them with him. A lot of people have cabins on this island, so it could have been a prank in the makings that had been busted when Ryan saw the person at the window or the person possibly wanting to do something worse. I will never be able to explain what was floating in the lake. But the fact that this incident, along with bare feet and someone looking in at Ryan at night, all happened in the same night seems like more than a coincidence. It was a crisp autumn morning, and I had decided to spend the day with my cousin, Mike, collecting sugar pine cones along Forest Service Road 9777. We had always enjoyed these outings, the fresh air and beautiful scenery providing a welcome escape from the hustle and bustle of daily life. As we drove deeper into the forest, I felt a growing sense of excitement. The sun had just risen, and the golden light filtering through the trees cast a warm, inviting glow on the forest floor. We parked the car near a particularly dense grove of sugar pines and got out, ready to begin our search for the largest and most impressive cones we could find. We had been picking cones for a couple of hours when I suggested we take a break and head back to the car for some refreshments. 
Mike agreed, and as we walked back along the road, I couldn't help but notice how eerily quiet the forest had become. It was as if the entire area was holding its breath, waiting for something to happen. As we neared the car, I saw something in my peripheral vision. It was a large, dark figure moving quickly across the road in front of our vehicle. I stopped in my tracks and tried to get a better look at the creature, but it disappeared into the brush before I could make out any distinguishing features. Did you see that? I asked, turning to Mike. He looked confused, having been gazing out the passenger side window when the figure had crossed the road. What are you talking about? He replied, looking around nervously. Before I could answer, we heard a voice calling out to us from a nearby ridge. It was Park Ranger Jason, a friendly and knowledgeable man who had worked in the area for years. He had noticed our car parked along the road and had come to check on us, making sure we weren't causing any trouble or in need of assistance. I quickly explained to Jason what I had seen, and to my surprise, he didn't dismiss my story outright. Instead, he looked thoughtful and asked if we'd mind showing him the spot where the creature had crossed the road. Together, we retraced our steps and examined the area where I'd seen the mysterious figure. Jason searched the ground intently, and after a few moments, he pointed out a series of large, deep footprints leading off into the brush. I've heard reports of Sasquatch sightings in this area before, Jaden admitted, but I've never come across such clear evidence myself. It's possible that it was watching you from a distance and only crossed the road when it thought you weren't looking. We followed the footprints for a short distance, but they soon disappeared in the thick undergrowth. Jason advised us to be cautious and aware of our surroundings, as there was no way of knowing how the creature might react if it felt threatened. Although we never saw the Sasquatch again that day, the experience left a lasting impression on both Mike and me. We continued our pine cone collecting tradition. But we couldn't help but feel a heightened sense of wonder and curiosity every time we ventured into the forest. 